God's Word says this, And they were bringing children to Him. Uh, The Him in the passage is Jesus, that He might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Verse 16, And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. A quick recap. Uh, We discussed Jesus' relationship to children. If you'll recall back in chapter 9, uh, 936, Uh, The historical context must be visited in case you missed that sermon or just to bring you up to speed and looking at children in the Roman Empire, uh, not the same value that we have for children within the American family. In in Roman society, uh, children were viewed as kind of the least of these. They were not held in high regard. Uh, Why? Because mortality rate in kids was rather high. And they didn't add much value to society until they were at an age where they could work and provide uh, economically for their families. This is not to say that their, their families didn't love their kids. I mean, we see in this passage, I believe, the they bringing children to Jesus is the parents. And so obviously there is a deep love for parents towards their children. But in Roman society, children were uh, viewed as low on the social spectrum. So much so that it was acceptable in Rome to throw, if if you didn't want your children, you could just throw them in the trash heaps. There would be trash heaps in the empire. You could just discard your unwanted children in the trash heaps, and people would come along and would take those children, not to adopt them, but to use them as slaves, uh, prostitutes, or they would mutilate their bodies and disfigure them so that they could make more money out in the streets begging and, and get pity from people. Disgusting. Uh, But that was how that society viewed uh, kids. As we learned a few weeks back, children were the epitome of the least of these in the time of Jesus. The most vulnerable of society, the lowest on the societal uh, rung of the ladder. Summarizing, so we get an idea of this passage, just a few verses we're focusing on this morning. Summarizing what's occurring in this passage, the disciples that appear to be like uh, nightclub bouncers or security guards trying to keep people at bay from Jesus. They're going to protect Jesus. We'll t- Jesus will let you know who can come and receive blessing. They misunderstood their role, right? Because it says that Jesus, what, he became indignant. What does that word mean? He was mad. He was upset. He was angry with who? The kids? The parents? No, the disciples, because they were hindering his ministry. They stood in the way of deterring these vulnerable members of society from the blessing of Jesus, but Jesus won't allow this, will he? He won't allow people to get into the way of the work of His ministry. You see, no one is hindered from the love and embrace of Christ. These children are brought to Jesus with nothing. They have nothing to offer. They're the lowest on the societal ladder. They don't have any money. They have nothing to offer. And yet, what does Jesus give them in this passage? An embrace 
a blessing, and his word says he touches them. He loved on them, didn't he? Brought them into his arms. And he uses these children in this passage as the focal point of his teaching in these four verses. That we must come to him like these children do. What does that mean? We come to him with nothing. With nothing. Which brings us to our main idea this morning. Our main idea is this. Come to Jesus helplessly dependent on his blessing. Helplessly dependent on him. Deuteronomy 7, 6-7. As we read through this passage, you may be thinking, I have no idea how this connects. Let me unpack it for you this morning. It says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. This is speaking of Israel. Oh, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now hear this. You know, he has chosen to bless the world through these people. And then he, His Word says this, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. What is that saying? Did the Israelites bring any sort of great thing into the kingdom of God? No. God chose them because they were the fewest. They brought nothing. He didn't choose them because they were great. He chose them because they were low. And we see this same connection here in the children. Why does Jesus love these children? Because they bring nothing. They bring nothing. The passage in Deuteronomy captures the heart of God. He doesn't desire, church, what you bring to the table. He desires to be glorified. And His power, holiness, and righteousness are on glorious display when the lowly come and are dependent on Him. When the lowly come and are dependent on Him. He did not choose Israel in the Old Testament because of what they brought to the table. They weren't great in number. It says, it says, quote, you were fewest of all peoples. In the same way, we get a picture of these vulnerable children with nothing to offer. Jesus won't let them be hindered. They are brought to Jesus and come for His blessing and His touch. Again, our main idea, we come to Jesus helplessly dependent on Him. Any good thing that happened to Israel in the Old Testament was because of God's goodness. Any good thing that happens to these children here is because of the goodness of Jesus Christ. We come with nothing to offer. His mercy and grace, though, is free to us. It's free to us. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You don't have to act like someone you're not. You come bringing Jesus filthy rags, and He gives you, as according to His Word, 2 Corinthians 5.20, He gives you His righteousness. He took your sin, and He gave you His righteousness. Jesus won't let the children be hindered, the vulnerable be hindered. They're brought to Him. For his blessing and touch. We're going to look at four lessons from this passage this morning. The aim of the passage is directed at children. 
What do we learn from the children and Jesus' interaction with them? With this, we want this to be applicable to all. So again, categorically, we're looking at children as who? The most vulnerable, the least of these. uh, Those coming with nothing to offer Jesus. And so with that, it brings us to our first point. What do we do with the vulnerable, ourselves included? We bring them to who? Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. These parents brought their children to the Savior. They brought them to Jesus. I don't want us to overlook the beginning part of this passage as just a passing phrase. It says, uh, the first half of verse 13, and they were bringing children to Him that He might touch them. The passage begins with the love of a parent for their child. Don't miss the simplicity of that first line. Bring your children, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, bring your children to Jesus. That song we just sang is such a beautiful reminder that God's blessing would be on our children and their children and their children. I mean, that is the desire of my heart that beginning now in my family, that my kids, as they go out and they raise their families, that their families would love Jesus and their kids would love Jesus and so on. What a blessing that would be. But as I get old and gray, I can look and see my grandchildren and perhaps my great-grandchildren raised in Christ and praising Jesus. God, there's no... Like, no money can match that. No house can match that. But to see my kids, when my kids are talking to me about Jesus and asking questions, my eyes well up. The most vulnerable of society brought to Jesus. Bring the desperate to Jesus. Hear this in your workplace. That emotionally exasperated worker that sits next to you who's struggling, bring them to who? To Jesus. Your elderly neighbor who's shut off from the world, bring them to Jesus. The gas station attendant, they need Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Again, getting back to the context of children here. I wanted to highlight, I felt this was a good Sunday to highlight a point of practical application in our church, in our local church, North Bullet Christian Church. The leadership of this church over the past 18 months has focused on this for our children, for our kids' ministry and for our student ministry, that we would bring them to Jesus. And so we've structured our kids' ministry and our student ministry in a way that kids are confronted with the gospel each and every week. How do we do this? We utilize a, a book called the Gospel Story Bible. It's by an author called Marty, his name is Marty Machowski. Excellent, excellent kids uh, author. And the Gospel Story Bible does this. It presents every story, not in and of itself, not as some sort of you know, fable or fairy tale, okay? but it takes the story, it teaches it, it teaches the lessons, but then ultimately it connects that story to who? Jesus! Because our kids need to be able to pick up their Bibles and see Christ in all of Scripture. 
They need to see how the story of David and Goliath is not them holding the rock and being able to slay some sort of big obstacle that they have in their life, but it is Jesus Christ bringing down the giant of sin in our lives. All of those stories are redemptive. And with this also, we desire for parents to devote themselves to the teaching of their children. And so there are resources that coincide with the Gospel Story Bible that parents can invest into their kids and bring them up connecting those stories uh, that they're learning in kids' ministry at home. There's a devotional that goes side by side with what we teach. And so parents and grandparents who bring kids to North Bullet Christian Church, we encourage you, the only Bible that they get should not just be at church. It should be Monday through Sunday throughout your week, investing in your kids so that we raise the next generation of Christian leaders. With that student ministry, student ministry right now is uh, doing an overview of each book of the Bible, teaching the main points in each one of those books so the kids are walking through the Bible. But most importantly, again, they're looking at how that book connects to who? Jesus Christ. And they're learning to make those connections. And then also, beginning in December, we're really excited to announce this. We're going to be adding a worship hour component for our middle schoolers so that they can bridge into being adults who can sit in a room and listen to a sermon. So the first Sunday in December, we're going to be offering a program on Sunday mornings during the 11 o'clock worship hour that they'll be listening to a similar teaching. Uh, it'll, it'll mimic where we're going through our sermon series on Sunday mornings. And our youth leaders are going to be teaching them how to actively listen to a sermon so that when they get old enough to sit in here, they can absorb the word and they know how to apply it to their lives. And they can listen. We want to train up children in that way so that we stop seeing the trend of the youth group generation that grew up in church and then the minute they leave and they're 18 and they come in here, it's like, well, this isn't entertaining enough, so I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go find that in the world. We want to come against that and we want to raise up our kids to love Jesus. And with that, I want to, I want to acknowledge the folks who represent Christ in this way. There are a lot of folks in our church, volunteers and staff, who are doing what Jesus does here. They are embracing our children in there, and they're teaching them the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so we want to acknowledge our kids' ministry staff, our volunteers, our student ministry staff, and volunteers. Would you give them a round of applause this morning? We appreciate you. That is difficult work but it is of utmost importance in the local church, in this church, that we raise up the next generation of Christ followers. So we bring them to Jesus, number two, our second point this morning. We learn in this passage to beware not to hinder the work of Jesus. Beware not to hinder the work of Jesus. What are the disciples doing in this passage? They're setting up a roadblock to the Savior. They're standing in the way. And what does it say that Jesus did? He got mad. He got mad at them. 13 and 14. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Okay, they didn't just stand in the way. I mean, rebuked is a strong word. They're basically saying, get out of here. You can't get to my Jesus. Then it says, but... When Jesus saw it, he was indignant, he was angry, and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, 
for to such belongs the kingdom of God. The disciples view the vulnerable as a hindrance to Jesus, and yet this is the very people that Jesus came to love and serve. It's the very people that He came to love and save. Those who have nothing. You hear this, church? There's enough of Jesus to go around. We don't need to hinder His work. Don't stand in the way of the heart of Christ for the suffering sinner. You don't have to change them to share the gospel. You don't have to clean them up. Let the work of the Spirit burst forth through the words of the gospel. If your way of doing that is to invite them to church, you don't have to tell them to act a certain way or speak a certain way or dress a certain way. Come as you are and hear the gospel. And then we allow, because the Spirit is powerful enough, hear this, God is powerful enough to transform the heart of a suffering sinner. We are confident in the work of God in salvation. That He uses us to proclaim the Word, and He gets the glory because His Holy Spirit transforms a sinning heart to see the need of a Savior. Let the work of the Gospel burst forth. Don't set up unnecessary roadblocks to the Gospel. Let the work of the Spirit burst forth. There's enough of Jesus to go around. His grace is limitless. His mercy abounds. Jesus laid down His life and He took it back up again to save those who bring nothing but brokenness to Him. He doesn't desire just a piece of you. He wants all of you. He takes the whole child into His arms and He embraces them. Give the lost, broken, and vulnerable all of Jesus. Through Jesus, there is no shame. He pours out His grace. Don't be a hindrance. Hear this, church. Don't roll your eyes at the suffering sinner who falls on their face, flat on their face again. So many times we create that roadblock because someone is struggling through something and we, we walk with them and work with them and then they fall flat on their face again and then we start doing this. <sighs> There's enough of Jesus' grace for them. And God has placed you in that person's life to point them to Christ that you can put out a hand and say, man, I know you fell flat on your face again, but get up. Get up. Pastor and author Dane Ortland, he says this. I love this, the way he phrases his Would a father with a suffocating child want his child to draw on oxygen in a measured, reasonable way when he's speaking of God's grace? No. (laughs) Take all the oxygen you need. Jesus says this to us. Take all the grace you need. Breathe it in. He has an endless supply. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful picture. A father doesn't say to their child that they're suffocating, here's some oxygen, but take it easy. Take all you need. It's the same with God's grace. Take all that you need. Every time that you fall flat on your face, He's there to pour out His grace on you again. That's the heart of our Savior. 
Point three, belong to the kingdom of God. Belong to the kingdom of God. Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Notice here that Jesus doesn't say childish. He says childlike, like a child. Remember the context. The children here are vulnerable. Nothing to offer. How do we belong to the kingdom? We bring nothing and are filled by Jesus. They had nothing to offer him. They just went to him. And they're embraced. Next week we look at the story of the rich young man. And the rich young man will try to bring what? All his good deeds and his societal standing to Jesus. And Jesus says what? If you want to follow me, get rid of that junk. Come on, let's go. You need nothing to follow Jesus. And that's exactly the way he wants you to come to him. Strip away your pride, your self-righteousness, your arrogance, your social standing. Come to Jesus as a child. I want you to picture it this way. The child with empty hands. That's how they come. They come to Jesus with empty hands ready to be filled. They're filled with the grace and mercy of Jesus. Come with nothing to our Savior. I can remember back when I was growing up, when I was a kid, we used to play outside in the summertime. And where I grew up, it was hot. And we'd run around for a few hours, and all of a sudden you'd realize that you're dying of thirst, right? And your throat would be dry, kind of like mine is right now. And we'd run back to the house, and the glory of this, the fountain of water that cometh from the garden hose, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? That garden hose water. Now, you don't drink it right when it comes out because it's about 170 degrees. Give it about 30 seconds, and that rubbery, coppery taste, whatever it was, it tasted so good when you were thirsty. That cold water, when it hits your lips, the glory of the rubbery taste of the garden hose. I can remember I would play a lot with my brother, and we would go and turn that thing on, wait a couple seconds for it, for it to cool off, and, and cupping your hands, and he would pour the water in my cupped hands, and you'd, you'd drink up. It's just, these kids are coming to Jesus, cupped hands, and he's filling them up with his blessing, his grace and his mercy. Come to Jesus, hands empty, ready to be filled. Jesus' brother James says it this way in, in his letter, in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord. Empty yourself before the Lord. Cast aside what you think you bring. Humble yourself before the Lord. And what does it say? He will exalt you. We rest in what He does. Strip away all that personally hinders you and come to the Lord empty, ready to receive Him. Picture that again. My, my hands cupped. There's nothing in here filled with His living water. Last point, we're blessed and assured. We're blessed 
and assured. It says that Jesus did this in verse 16. He took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is such a beautiful passage in four verses. The heart of Christ. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus receiving the vulnerable, embracing them. Church, he doesn't just do this for kids. He does this for broken, suffering, lost sinners. We come with our disgusting, sinful backgrounds, with our hands empty, and Jesus embraces you and he loves you because the fountain of his grace never runs out. We witness here the disposition of our Savior. Notice, I want you to notice this. In verse 14, it says that he was indignant or angry towards the disciples for hindering the children to be brought to him. But he became indignant there. That wasn't his disposition. Jesus didn't just walk around angry. We learn in the Old Testament, we see that God was provoked to anger. That's not God's disposition. He's not just walking around mad all the time. And church, I want you to hear this as we hear about the blessing of God because sometimes we view God in this way. Like he's the grumpy police officer that didn't get enough sleep last night and he's got his baton and he's just waiting for you to do something wrong so that he can hit you. But that's not the disposition of our Father. He's a loving and gracious Father. It's why He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save sinners. And some of us have this distorted view of God that whenever we fall short, that He's just waiting there to thump us. But He's not. He's waiting there to gobble you up and embrace you in His loving, gracious, and merciful arms. You're his child. God's not the grumpy police officer. Be further from the truth. He must be provoked to anger. He becomes indignant when the vulnerable are kept from him. Some of you need to hear this. In Christ, in Christ, those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God is not angry with you. He loves you, and His grace abounds for you. That's the promise that we have in Christ. Now the warning is the opposite of that. If you are not in Christ, God's anger burns against you for your sin because you don't have the covering of Jesus. I call upon you this morning, repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We see the heart of Christ in Jesus, or in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says this, verse 25, it says, And and at that time Jesus declared, quote, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Let's let's look at that for a second. Why, Why is it hidden from the wise and understanding? Because they think that they're bringing something to the table. I bring my wisdom, I bring my knowledge, I bring my good works. And so the truth is hidden from them because they don't get that they need to be emptied of that and come to Jesus with nothing. And then he says this, and understanding and revealed them to who? The little children, the vulnerable, the empty, those who have nothing, I have revealed this to them. And then he says this in in 28 to 30, who here is 
tired this morning. Not just sleepy tired. You're just tired. Every time you turn on the news, it's exhausting. Numbers clicking up. Whether it be election numbers, coronavirus numbers, whatever numbers you can throw out there. Just a barrage of this information constantly. And if you're anything, I'm tired and weary. I'm tired. I need a dose of Jesus in the heart of Jesus. Jesus says this to his people. Hear this church. Come to me. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. If you are heavy laden, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he gives, he, he gives us a picture into his heart. He opens the door. We see the heart of God right here. The heart of Jesus Christ. He opens the door. He says, for I am angry and mad at you. No, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And he says, and you will find rest for your souls. Who needs rest? You can rest in Jesus. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Christ we are blessed and assured of his love doesn't say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden so I can weigh you down with my anger. No, he's gentle and lowly in heart. He will give you rest for your soul's church. Rest in his graciousness, his grace and his mercy this morning. Speaking of Matthew 11, Puritan Thomas Goodwin says this, he says, Men are apt to have contrary conceits of Christ, but he tells them his disposition there, Matthew 11, by preventing such hard thoughts of him. To allure them unto him the more, we are apt to think that he, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear them. No, says he, I am meek, gentleness is my nature and temper. need to hear that this morning. Jesus is gentle with you. And he wants to pour out his gentleness on you. And he loves you. See, we're not only blessed by Jesus. We have assurance of his plan of redemption. If you are in Christ, he will complete his work in you. He will complete His work. We learn from His Word that He has sealed you with His Holy Spirit. God cannot fail in what He has set forth to do. If you are God's child, you are forever His child. God will not fail. Jesus says so in John chapter 6, verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. <laughs> Hear this. Whoever comes to me, I will never, what? Cast out. In Christ, you are blessed and assured.
you have assurance in Jesus. Jesus took the children and he held them. He does the same for every broken sinner who comes to him for rest for their soul. I want to end with this illustration this morning. My son Jordan, he's 12 now. He's going to be 13 in about a month. When he was probably three or four years old, we were sitting on the front porch one day. We had a concrete porch, and I was sitting in uh, like a beach chair, so it was kind of low to the ground, and he had one of those Razor scooters that he likes to ride around. And he kept coming up kind of annoyingly (laughs) and racing around my chair really closely until he hit the backside of it with his front wheel, and he went crashing down. And I turned and I looked, and he had landed on the handlebar of that scooter, which the grip had come off, so there was the exposed edge. And if you ever look at my son, you'll notice he has a big scar on his chin right here because he landed right on that, and it sliced his chin open. And I turned, and as soon as I saw that blood pouring out from him and that, you know the kid, the kid cry where they're just breathing in for about a minute because they're going to let it rip pretty quick, right? You know that, you know, he's doing that thing. And I scooped him up into my arms and I ran inside and I told my wife, I'm like, we got to go. Fortunately, the, the emergency room was right down the street from where we lived. I got a bunch of paper towels and shoved it into his chin and sat in the back car while Karen drove to the hospital holding him and we ran in and the, and the ER is just an absolute zoo. People in the hallways, they see a child hurting. Of course, they get him a room right away and we get him back in and they start investigating his chin. They thought it was so deep that it had gone almost all the way through into his mouth. It was crazy. And in that, in that time, my child is screaming and hurting and he's mad at the world, right? And that's all I did was I held him there. He was pushing against me. He's trying to run away. And I held him there until those doctors could come in and do what they needed to do. Jesus does that same thing to us. We bring nothing. Even at times kicking and screaming against him. And he holds us. And embraces us. Church, you need to hear, rest in Jesus. And I can remember when they finished that last stitch went in. It took five people to hold down my four, three, four-year-old son. I mean, he has some sort of Hulk strength inside of him that I didn't know existed. And when we were done, he went to rest. His body went limp. And from the time we walked down the hallway, my son was asleep in my arms. Jesus has that same embrace for you, church. He holds you tightly when you're kicking and screaming against him. And then when you realize, like, okay, it's done, that limp body goes and he still holds on to you, walking down that hallway. Jesus loves you. Rest in his mercy and grace this morning. I want to invite the band to come forward. We're going to receive communion. We do this each and every week here at North Bullet Christian Church. We're going to receive communion this morning as people who are helplessly dependent on his blessing. We need Jesus. We bring nothing to him. And we get to, each and every week, 
remember and receive His body that was broken for us on the cross. We get to receive the juice which represents His blood that was shed for you. His blood is an atoning blood. It covers our sin. Just as God, when He had came to Adam and Eve after they sinned, He sacrificed an animal and He covered their nakedness in animal skins. Jesus covers your sin with His blood. It's pictures of atonement all throughout the Scripture. And so when we receive communion, we eat and drink and remember the death of Christ. And when we remember the death of Christ, we remember the cost to Him to cover our sin. And so we confess our sin. We look, we examine ourselves. That's what His Word tells us to do. We examine ourselves and we confess our sin to the Lord Jesus. We confess times this morning where we've tried to bring our things that we view as righteous to Him confess those times where maybe we've been a hindrance to His work, we've stood in the way, and receive His blessed assurance. If you're skeptical in this room, if you don't know Jesus, He's so good to us. Jesus emptied Himself of His glory and came to earth and took on human flesh and He lived the life that we couldn't live. He, he lived the perfect life. He, he perfectly fulfilled the law and He was perfectly obedient to His Father to the point where He gave up His life on the cross. But He didn't stay dead. He, he was buried in the grave and then the tomb was rolled away and by the power of the Holy Spirit, He was resurrected to new life, defeating death in the grave. And He ascended to heaven where He is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. And if you would place your faith and trust, if you would place your faith and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will be saved and you will have rest for your soul. His grace is sufficient for you. And so as we take time to receive communion, to sing, to pray, and to give back, I want to invite you this morning, don't be embarrassed follower of Christ, as we pray, reach out your hands and cup them together, just like this, empty, ready to be filled with the grace of Jesus. Reach your hands out as we pray.